the gospel according to Mark first chapter, starting with the first first verse reads as follows. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people of the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. God's word for God's people and God's people said, amen. Uh, for the time that we're going to spend together, you may be seated. Uh, we are going to talk about a proper introduction. A proper introduction. An introduction is important. It, it sets the tone. It lets us know what we're in for. When we meet people, we remember how we were introduced. People love to ask married couples, how did you meet? A good introduction helps us remember things better. If you're a fan of the temptations and somebody says, I got sunshine, your response would be, on a cloudy day. If you like the elements, better known as earth, wind, and fire, if somebody started off, do you remember? The 21st night of September would be the response. An introduction is crucial. Uh, my time I spent interning at a, a recording studio and some of the relationships I've developed with uh, record executives, something I've learned about them is that they can tell whether or not a song is going to be any good in the first 12 bars. They, uh, they, they, they listen to the first couple parts of that song, and if it doesn't start off right, they're on to the next song. They don't need to listen anymore. I've, I've heard what you did to start off with. You should have put your best foot forward. I'm off to the next one. Introductions are crucial. It's so crucial that you can look in the back of your hymnals and see that they have an index for the first lines of songs. They're not a lot of songs we know. Uh, we know by the first line, but that's not actually the name of the song. It's a Fred Hammond song I used to listen to over and over and over again and everybody says, we're going to sing Bread of Heaven. That ain't the name of the song. It's your living word. 
but we pay attention to the introduction. My mother often says that the way you start is the way you finish. So if there's somebody you want to do business with and uh, they start off troublesome, it's going to be troublesome later and you can expect more troublesome behavior later. I was actually at a production meeting a couple weeks ago. Someone was planning a New Year's Eve service and they were trying to get a meeting together and they wanted to have this big old video wall in the back uh, and all kind of uh, audio, video, uh, spectacular uh, production value. And they were going to the guy that was supposed to bring the video wall and he didn't make the meeting. And not only did he not make the meeting with the rest of the people there, the engineers and the sound team and the, the, the person that was going to do backline, which is a term we use for who brings in instruments when you rent them. Everybody else is at this meeting. They'll say, well, OK, well, I'm a little worried that he didn't make the meeting, but maybe he can just tell us what uh, what the make and model is of the of the equipment he's bringing so that we can start measuring out the stage and know get to get to. He didn't want to tell over text message what what make and model video wall he was in planning to bring. Uh, furthermore, when we asked, was there a place where he could at least come set it up and 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 uh, look at it? Uh, he said, I can't really uh, bring my video wall for you to look at unless I'm sure you're going to rent it. So he basically cost himself a lot of money starting off wrong because the people that were at that table go all over the country and all over the world putting together productions and had he just showed up at this one meeting could have changed his whole career but the way you start is the way you finish a proper introduction is crucial and then we have the introductions where there is history if you've known someone for a period of time and you introduce them to somebody, it's not always what you say, but how you say it. And you can tell by the way you introduce yourself or introduce someone to others that there's history, there's memories, there's emotion behind the type of introduction. And I get that type of feeling, almost like it's an inside joke. You have to be able to research a little deeper in order to find out what's going on under what they said. And I get that kind of impression whenever I read the gospel according to Mark. Mark is not as verbose as Matthew, Luke, and John when it comes to talking about uh, what went on in Jesus' life. He's real quick and to the point. Likes to say the word immediately a lot. Immediately we went from here to there and immediately we did this and immediately this happened. But when you get under what Mark said is really deep. Mark uses few words, but those words are layered with meaning. And that's what we see when we read the gospel according to Mark right here in the text that we read and you're, you're hearing is an introduction to Jesus. Yes, uh, the gospel according to Mark is the second book in New Testament comes after Matthew. But if you would look them up, if actually when they were read, Mark 
was written about 40 years after Jesus was crucified. Then uh, Matthew and Luke were written about 70, 80 years after he was in the gospel, according to John, about 100 years. Mark is actually the oldest recorded gospel regarding Jesus. The letters of Paul came before the gospels. But when we talk about the gospels, Mark is the oldest and that's where it comes from. And we're taking a first look at Jesus straight up. No chaser. Uh, the gospel, according to Mark, gets right to work. It doesn't talk about the family or Mary and Joseph and doesn't have him in the synagogue listening and answering questions. Nope. Let's get right started to his ministry. Here's Jesus. He's about to get baptized by this guy named John. Let's go. Gets right to work. And in this proper introduction, the first part of this proper introduction is a witness to the Old Testament. Let the whole church say witness. Witness. The first part of Mark, the first three verses, is actually referencing some Old Testament scriptures, one of them being Malachi 3.1. It says, see, I am sending my messenger to prepare a way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Somebody's coming. They says somebody's coming in Mark. They said somebody's coming in Malachi. That somebody is Jesus. But we're here to let you know somebody's coming. And the person that's telling us who's coming is John the Baptist. <clears throat> John the Baptist was an outsider. He didn't dress like everybody else dressed. He didn't eat what everybody else ate. John was different. And something else about John the Baptist that was different is John the Baptist spoke truth to power. He challenged the status quo. He spoke against the ruling authorities at that time and it cost him his life. But he, he spoke truth to power. And I, I struggle with that right now, particularly when I'm dealing with some of my clergy friends and community activists and what does it actually mean to speak truth to power? What does it actually mean to rise up for a community? And you know, you have people who are advocating violence. But the term truth to power actually came from a group of pacifists looking to change the laws. Now, I don't necessarily consider myself a pacifist. Uh, I, I would probably, if we want to get super technical about it, uh, follow Ryan Hurt, Holt Niebuhr's uh, theology in terms of you can't negotiate with uh, you can't negotiate with institutions. They either need to be changed or eradicated. I'm not really a pacifist, but I also don't go swinging at everything that moves. So, in in, in speaking truth to power, what do I feel about uh, situations like Mike Brown and? Eric Gardner and Tamir Rice, I, I think they're disgusting. I, I, I think uh, primarily Eric, Eric Gardner and Tamir Rice more than uh, Mike Brown, but still the same thing. Uh, is everybody familiar with Tamir Rice when I say Tamir Rice? Uh, Tamir Rice was a 12-year-old young man about a couple weeks ago playing with a, a toy gun in a park, and the 911 call said, 
somebody's out here with a gun, it's probably fake. It's a little boy, but I just want to call it in to be safe. And these two police officers rolled up, drove on the grass in the parking lot, and it, from the video, looks like he started shooting as soon as he opened the door. Those things, to me, are disgusting. But I, I, I find myself even more challenged at the fact that I'm desensitized to it because unarmed black men have been getting killed for a long time. I'm, I'm desensitized to that, and I'm upset that I'm desensitized to that. Uh, I remember Michael Taylor in Indianapolis being in the back seat of his car, handcuffed, and somehow managing to shoot himself uh, in the head with a 38 snub nose special. I don't. Now, now, now they, now they, uh, the family eventually sued the police department and and got some sort of retribution in 2006. But this happened almost when I was in kindergarten. But I'm desensitized to that. I, I, I spend a lot more time thinking about what do we need to do in response? Uh, I noticed if we were to say one side versus the other on certain things, I noticed that when historically, when you looked at it, things were lost on a national scale. When you had your Brown versus uh, Board of Education rulings, when you had um, uh, the Voting Rights Acts and everything, whenever the people were coming against you on something to take your rights away and it finally they lost at a national scale, they didn't go back and fight nationally. They went local and built up, built up a base and started taking apart these laws that were, were fought for to, to protect us on a national level. They started taking them apart at the states. They put together PACs and super PACs and, and, uh, lobbyist groups and think tanks and they they started a ground floor and started changing stuff on the block and on the street first before they tried to go back to the nation so when they finally were able to attack the nation the nation had no more backing as a state does that make sense they 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 for the voting rights act you have this national law in place to protect our right to vote because there were laws put together that prevented black people from voting well instead of going to fight that law again, they decided, well, I'm just going to win these state elections and redraw the lines. And then I'm going to change, the, I'm going to win at the polling precincts and get over that and I'm going to change what it takes to be able to come to vote. And so they fought at that and then finally, when it comes time to fight the national act again, well, they've already lost all their base. So I feel like when it comes to all of these things, Yes, it's upsetting, but I feel like our response, we are playing checkers with chess pieces. We are blacking out our Facebook pages and turning our cover pics for the Facebook pages, the hands up, and we tagging all this stuff on Instagram and, and doing all these things and talking tough and calling people Uncle Toms, and I think people who use that phrase don't have not actually read the book because Uncle Tom was the good guy. He fought to protect the slaves. Anyway. 
but you're calling people that because they're not online advocating a life for a life and all this other stuff and ready to swing on people and all of that. I feel like if you were really to speak truth to power, if you were really to do something about it, you should probably register to vote, then show up, then spend some time endorsing candidates and getting, getting think tanks together and money together to finance people that can get these other people out of office. You have these situations because people are insulated in systems and able to do what they want because they know the system will protect them. But if we had set up our own systems and, 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 and set up our own systems to take out the systems that are in place, they wouldn't feel so comfortable about it. But meanwhile, instead of doing setting up the systems in place, we'd rather talk about it. We'd rather black out our Facebook pages. We'd rather take Instagram pictures with our hands up. And we'd rather badmouth Al and Jesse. <laughs> meanwhile, they've been fighting yep. for civil rights for years, longer than I've been born. And people out there bad-mouthing them, talking about, I don't care what they got to say. Well, nobody else is taking up the baton. So I feel like, yes, these things are horrible. Yes, they make me mad, but the response is not to try to get mad and not do nothing about it. Set up a system in place to wipe the system out. You can't negotiate with a system. But you you speak truth to power. So I guess that would be an introduction to how I feel politically. <laughs> Speaking truth to power while being called money hungry is a hard task to do. That's probably why ain't nobody took up the baton yet. You trying to protect the same people that talk about you and badmouth you all the time. But John spoke truth to power. John didn't care about the system. He was setting up a new system. That of Jesus Christ. But to understand John, we really need to take a look at Isaiah. It was what we read at the beginning of the service. Isaiah 41 through 11, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that has served her term, that she has served her term and her penalty is paid. And she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert highway for the desert, a highway for God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see together. The mouth of the Lord is spoken. A voice cries out. And I said, that's Isaiah talking. Now, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like a flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but when the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, a herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. 
a proper introduction to Jesus comes from John the Baptist. And to understand what John the Baptist is saying when he says it, you really need an introduction to Isaiah. And when you go to Isaiah, <laughs> Isaiah is introducing you to the God of Israel. So it's an introduction to an introduction to an introduction. We learn that God is merciful in Isaiah. His mercy is everlasting. We learn that he forgives. When Isaiah wrote this text, it was a time of exile for Israel and they were suffering and Isaiah was coming to tell them that the trouble was over. And we need somebody to tell us that the trouble is over. And in Isaiah, we learn about his glory. In verse 3, Isaiah is predicting John the Baptist when he writes it. It's in, there's a message of repentance. You know, repentance is not just about uh, asking for forgiveness about something. When you repent, you are supposed to change how you think about things. So an introduction to Jesus needs to change our mind, needs to change how we think about things. And then we also learn about God's eternality. I keep saying it all the time. It was, it was just changed my mind. A lot of, you know, I, I'm not one to beat up on uh, music that's not gospel. I, I've, I've listened to secular music as people like to call it. But one thing that I've constantly learned in both interning and spending an opportunity with, with some producers and uh, rappers and engineers and music executives that, you know, they don't have the same opinion about music as we do listening to it. You have someone like <laughs> Russell Simmons who can point out the fact that in six months, whatever was hot, it's not going to be hot anymore. And not only is it not going to be popular, but you're not going to remember it. But he made almost half a billion dollars off of this. And he looks at it like, eh, it's just, it's, I'm just catching a new fad. That's all. The grass withers in the flower fades, but the word of God lasts forever. We can't listen to a song for six months without getting tired of it. But we've been listening to this word of God for 2,000 years. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God lasts forever. God's word stands forever, not like people. And so if we're not going to be here forever, we should spend our time investing in and focusing in the things that should, like the word of God. And this gentle God who guides us like a shepherd, who guides us and protects us and keeps us in his arms. So John, first we start off with the witness of the Old Testament in this introduction to Jesus Christ. And then the next thing we see is the work of the Baptist. Let the church say work. work. And about 4 through 11, we see that uh, John is baptizing the multitude. The whole Judean countryside is going around. That's what it says in the text. And people are confessing their sins. Not other people's sins. Their sins. They're getting baptized and baptized in the multitude, and they are confessing their sins. And then John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. Uh, there's a big old 
uh, fancy thing I learned in seminary called the historical quest for Jesus. And that's where a bunch of scholars got together and talked about different things and whether or not they actually happened in the Bible or historically. And they, they had all this criterion that they would put together in order to piece together this historical Jesus. And one of the things that they taught was the criterion of embarrassment. And so their argument about the criterion of embarrassment was uh, if it was something that was embarrassing to the church and you still found it in all these gospels talking about it, then it must have actually happened. Because why would the church purposely allow something that was embarrassing to them, like their savior being crucified like a common criminal, to happen? It's criterion of embarrassment. Does that make sense? One of those things that, that people have thought or argued for the criterion of, of embarrassment is the fact that Jesus allowed himself to be baptized. If he's truly the Savior, why would he allow somebody else to baptize him? He's Jesus. Why would somebody who was powerful and the Son of God do this? He must have really been in a disciple of John and not his own disciple. Because John had his disciples. And some people thought during that time that John the Baptist was the actual Messiah, but others thought he was Elijah and these and that. So long story short, just uh, cut across the field, the fact that Jesus allowed himself to be baptized by somebody else fits this criterion of embarrassment. So the scholars have gone to argue that this must have happened because there's no other way. I don't necessarily look at it as something embarrassing. To me, that shows humility. I would love, I love the fact that my God is humble enough to wash his, to be a servant, to wash others' feet, to allow somebody else to baptize him. It's humble. And so John allowed him, or Jesus allowed John to be baptized. And he was baptized in the Jordan River. And it's interesting, like I say, in these layers of things that, that the gospel, according to Mark, has, you have these first three verses where he just said, let's go, let's go, let's go. But it ties into all of this stuff that was going on in Isaiah. Same thing with the River Jordan. Jesus being baptized in the River Jordan. See, the River Jordan was a border to the promised land for people. They knew when they were going into the Jordan, they were going on to the other side of something greater. When the people of God reached the Jordan River, they knew their struggle was over. They knew their wandering was over. And we know our struggle is over by Jesus. So you have Jesus getting baptized in the Jordan River because he could have gotten baptized anywhere he wanted to. But the Jordan River was symbolic. There were a lot of things that went on in the Jordan River. Once again, it was the, the place of the promised land. It also served as a boundary for the people of God. It was an area. It was a border. It became something of its own, kind of like its own identity. I'm reminded of Jacob in Genesis 32.10 where he said, I am not worthy of the least of all mercies and I tell you the truth. You have shown what you have shown your servant for I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies. See, when Jacob first crossed the River Jordan the first time, basically all he had was a walking stick. And when he crossed the Jordan, the second time, he had two entire camps, companies. He had 
stuff to take with him. Assets, families, and families, when they say, oh, a camp, in the Bible times, a camp was not just me in a sleeping bag or me in a tent. A camp was an entire group of people, an entourage, an escort almost. Sometimes a camp was used as a military term, which meant you were going with a whole bunch of soldiers. So Jacob was reminded of the point that he started off with just a walking stick. And when he came back to the place from whence he came, he had a whole group of people with him crossing the Jordan. NFL Hall of Fame wide receiver Michael Irvin uh, of the Dallas Cowboys said on game days he would eat cereal with tap water because growing up, he didn't have milk in his house. And so he had to eat, when he eat the cereal, he had to eat it with tap water. And he was making millions of dollars, but to remind himself of where he came from, he would eat cereal with water. And he would drive the very first car he bought, which was, I think it was like a beat up station wagon, to home games. So he could remember what it was like. So he could be reminded of the struggle and reminded of where he come from and then take that, that, that water cereal and this beat up car and drive it into a reserve parking spot at Dallas Stadium and play a game. But he was reminded of where he was coming from. I myself, that's why I still from time to time go to Wendy's and get just a junior bacon cheeseburger and a six-piece chicken nugget. Because I remember there was a time when I first we first moved down here to Houston, that's where we had to eat. Me and my mom and my sister would have to feed ourselves off of $5. And that's what we would get. Sometimes when I have to go to the southwest side of Houston, I will go down 59, uh, and uh, I guess it's Hillcroft. Yeah, 59 in Hillcroft, just so I can pass this old hotel building that we lived in before we could find a place to stay. Uh, it used to be a Holiday Inn, and we had to stay there for a while until we could find a place to stay. I ain't got nowhere else to go uh, anywhere near that, but I'm going to go past it so I can look at the building and be reminded where I've come from and, and what God has delivered me from and to. Reminders. And the River Jordan, getting baptized in the River Jordan is a symbol of deliverance to the people of God. So it's powerful that Jesus came to be baptized in it because it was a border to the promised land and it was a portal to our salvation. That is why Jesus, God said, and this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's my beloved. And so we've got the witness to the Old Testament in our introduction to Jesus. We've got the work of the Baptist. And we have Jesus defeating the wrath of the devil. Let the whole church say wrath. wrath. Jesus fasts and is tempted. Now, although there are a few words to describe the matter, those Greek words have meaning. When it says that he was drove, the word is actually ekbalo in the Greek, which is to throw out, to cast out, to put out, to banish. But it's also to bring forth. 
and produce. So when Mark talks about Jesus going into the wilderness, it's by a spiritual motivation. It's not just, ah, I think I'm going to go to the wilderness. This is a God-inspired thing. This is a spiritual thing, and he's going there to be tested. Now, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and, and then he is tempted by Jesus. And then the angels come and, and uh, uh, minister to him. But you know what I find funny about it is it doesn't read like that in, in uh, Matthew or Luke. And Luke, they talk a whole lot about uh, what, what Satan said to him and bow down to me and I'll give you all of this, that, and the third. Mark doesn't talk about that. And what that tells me is sometimes you don't need to give everybody the details of your troubles. Whereas it takes paragraphs and paragraphs to describe what Satan said, what he was wearing, what he drove up on and all this stuff. No. Hey, he was tempted. He he fasted. He was tempted. And it's over. That's all I need to know. I used to have something bad going on. God healed me and now I'm made whole. Sometimes we need to be brief with what's going on. Because there are sometimes, you know, I'm not against venting from time to time, but if all you ever do is complain, where is the time for the deliverance? Where is the time to get past it? If you make a bigger deal out of it than it has to be, then it may not be helpful. So Mark is brief with this description. Jesus fasted. He was tempted. Satan lost, and then the angels came. Don't have to spend that much time on it. You know the details. Not going to get into it. This is what happened. Now let's move on to his ministry. And that is how Mark introduces us to Jesus. And in this, and like I say, it's to bring forth and produce, we get to learn what is going to be what they, some scholars would call Jesus' signature act is exorcism, driving out. When you are introduced to Jesus, things get cast out. When you are introduced to Jesus, some of those things that used to have a hold on you can't hold on anymore. When you are introduced to Jesus, there is a change. And the beauty of Jesus' ministry that is covered throughout the gospel is that as a rabbi, it's not custom for a rabbi to select his followers. Matter of fact, the process is, is, is quite interesting that if you want to be a rabbi during those times, they would say there were some rabbis that would intentionally deny you multiple times to see if you really wanted to do this. So if you wanted to be a rabbi, you had to go ask, hey, can I please study under you? Can I sit at your feet and learn? Can you show me how to break this text down? No. All right, you stay up. I'll see you later. Come again, ask again. And really after, after the third rejection, that's how you would know. But Jesus did not do that. Jesus reached out to people. Jesus picked his disciples. On the, uh, on the way to, uh, 
the burial grounds. My wife and I were having a discussion, and I just realized how this ties into the sermon. Um, we were talking, we passed a really large high school, and I was talking about how big this high school was and how I made most of my friends playing sports. Because the school that we were passing in Pearland was about the size, maybe a little bit smaller than the high school I went to in Indianapolis. And I said, you know, made friends in high school, but when, when, when I was being introduced to people, uh, or, or not necessarily, or not even being introduced to people, but when you met new people, when you're in school, somebody has to ask your name. When you're on the playground, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? Somebody asks you of your name. And that's how you made friends. But as you got older and a little more mature, and, 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 and this may just have been me, but as I got older and, and more mature, I would meet people and I would introduce myself first. Hi, my name is Johnny. And that was a mark of maturity. Waiting for somebody to come to you versus actually going out and taking the initiative. Amen. And that made me think about this with Jesus and, the, and the, 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 the idea of rabbis. Jesus went out and got his people. He didn't wait for people to come to him. And that's what we ought to do as the church. We ought to go out and get people, not wait for them to come to us. So in introducing ourselves to Jesus, and we are learning about that Jesus would go out and get the least, the last, and the lost. So allow me to introduce you to the chief cornerstone, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the church, the holy one. Allow me to introduce you to the king of kings and the Lord of lords the light of the world, the prince of peace, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Allow me to introduce you to the true vine, the way, the truth, and the life, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.